So as I was coming home just a couple of days ago, I thought, where do I even begin to talk about an experience like this? How do you even begin to catalog something like this? Well, let me start with some basics. Let me start with our team. Um, first of all, you all know these folks, Aaron and Irina Villastrigo. You know them so well, you don't even need to see their picture. <laughs> well, if they were here, if you saw their pictures, they would be up there. You would know them, Aaron and, and Irina. There we are, Aaron and Irina and some other guy that just photobombed them. Um, we traveled together uh, to, to Poland to meet up with mission partners that we had been working with for about three years. And of course, one of the questions that we were asked many, many times before we left is, why is it, why is it important for us to go now? Um, a war has just started. Why do you need to go now? And the answer is pretty simple. Because our mission, our mission partners needed to know that we're not just here to stand with them when it's easy, but we're here to stand with them when it gets hard. Eastern Europe has been thrust to the center of the world's attention. And while the Lord has the, and while the, Lord has the world's attention on Eastern Europe, this is an opportunity for us as a congregation and for the whole church of Jesus Christ to shine. As their brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as their partners in the gospel, we have a unique opportunity, a unique relationship, and an open door to steward the blessings of God in a way that we never expected. We have deep connections, and those connections give us a responsibility, and our responsibility is to show up when things get hard, at difficult times and in difficult places. Our job was to bring back their stories to inform and equip this congregation for whatever purpose Christ, ha Christ has for us in the future. Now, again, this, this trip was planned about six months ago, and the context has completely changed, but the mission remained the same. First of all, let me introduce you to our mission partners. First of all, the Warsaw School of Theology and Social Sciences. You'll see on the end here, Dr. Peter Novak, who is the rector or the president of WSTS. He is one of those people that is a, a true believer, a true, uh, true uh, kingdom-minded, truly kingdom-minded leader in Warsaw. Our relationship with WSTS began three years ago as an effort to develop leadership programs for a Protestant Reformed Church growth in Warsaw. The whole idea is to, is to bring that light and the spirit of the Reformation to this predominantly Catholic country and to sustain and to help the churches that are there to grow. The program that we helped to start a few years ago currently has 19 students and is already starting to bear fruit. So WSTS is one of our partners. A second partner is the Outreach Foundation. These are, this is Tom Boone and Mark Mueller of the Outreach Foundation. The Outreach Foundation is a venerable mission partner of this church. It's an old Presbyterian mission agency that was founded by a group of pastors about 40 years ago. Among those pastors, guess who was there? Of course, Louis Abendon was part of founding the Outreach Foundation. But we joined with Mark Mueller, who is the executive director, as well as Tom Boone, who is the associate director for Europe, on our journey to Poland because we wanted to, wanted to connect what we were doing in Poland to the overall global reach 
of the Outreach Foundation. So again, just to orient you about who was on our trip. In addition to those folks, we also had another friend who is connected to this congregation, Reverend John Kaiser, who is a retired army chaplain who is serving still with the army in Frankfurt, Germany. And I'll say more about him in just a few minutes. But another mission partner with whom we met was the Tolalege Institute. Tolalege means take and read. It is part of St. Augustine's testimony that he heard the Holy Spirit telling him to take up the Bible and read it. And Dr. Darius and Brooke Briscoe are the, uh, our, our mission partners with the Tolalege Institute, which is a reformed study center in Poland, which is currently seeking to share the, the learning and the light of the Reformation in that predominantly Catholic country. So these are the mission partners with whom we met while we were in Poland. But because so much has changed, because the context has changed, our trip took on a decidedly different flavor from what we had originally envisioned. Of course, Europe, as you all know, is in a war. It's in the middle of a refugee crisis and a complete humanitarian crisis. Psalm 31 verse 12 says this, I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. These are words that describe the experience of so many Ukrainians who have fled for their lives. A few minutes ago, you saw some video of the Warsaw Central train station. That, a lot of that video in the train station was actually shot by one of our friends from the Siena Church who was a, a videographer for that congregation. But after dinner on our first night in Poland, Aaron and Irina and I walked from the hotel to the main Warsaw train station, which is about four blocks away. The station has been one of those key gathering points for refugees flowing into the country. The Polish government and the people of Poland have really done an amazing job of receiving the refugees and organizing services to meet them. But that station was full of refugees, women and children, elderly men and women, dogs. It was just full, but very few men because the men's, the dads, the brothers, the sons all go back to fight or most of them go back to fight or to serve in Ukraine. Upstairs in the upper concourse, you saw rows of air mattresses and sleeping bags. They were covered, the, the downstairs was covered with medical kiosks and language volunteers and food services. There was a strong police presence, but, but can you imagine that your next home would be in a train station or be in an airport along the side of the road somewhere? You may have noticed at the end of that video, a, a little bit of video, Arena had a powerful, beautiful intervention with this young Ukrainian mom traveling with two children. This young woman had two sick children with her and we were just walking out and Arena heard her speaking, heard her speaking in Russian and, and, and so just the impulse of the Holy Spirit just took her over and they started talking. And this young woman with her two kids were traveling, the kids were sick, Aaron examined them, they were, they were clearly dehydrated and what was crazy was that they were absolutely paralyzed by shock. Their experience had been so traumatic that there they were standing just next to the door of the train station, 20 yards away from medical help, and they couldn't cross that distance. 
They were so overwhelmed by their fear and by their pain and by their loss that they couldn't even get the help that was available to them just feet away from them. That is until Irina talked with her, calmed her down, and helped her to just walk over and get connected with the Polish social workers and EMTs that were there, ready to help, but who needed to be connected. The thing is, she just couldn't get there on her own. And it was a beautiful thing to see Irina step in and be that bridge between the people in need and the help they needed. Another person that I want to introduce you to is Lena Valjaleska. Lena is someone who, she was introduced to me, uh, introduced, I was introduced to her by the fellows from the Outreach Foundation. She and her husband, Oleg, run a Christian camp in Kiev. And as the war began, they decided that they needed to get their staff of 18 people out of Poland and they, excuse me, out of Ukraine. And so they went through Slovenia and were able to get their people out. Oleg let, sent all of the women from the group across the line and he and some of the men from the camp went back to assist as they could in Ukraine. Now this is a camp that that is a Christian camp, but it's kind of like a summer camp, but instead of teaching like canoeing and archery and things like that, they teach life skills like, like science and English and computers and things like that. So, so kind of a, a Christian vocational camp. But one of the things that Lena told me as I was sitting there with her in the lobby of our hotel, she said, in our schools and in our camps, we are teaching 21st century skills, but I never thought that that would have to include how to successfully be a refugee how to successfully run for your life. I also met a couple of, member, of the members of her team, Anna and Lena. You know, everyone who comes to Warsaw, who gets out of Ukraine, is completely traumatized. For those who have crossed the border, the war line as they call it, their reality has changed. Everything for those refugees has changed. Lena and Anna said to me, we may, we may be refugees, but at least we're not dead, but nevertheless, we're safe, but we're not okay. Lena, the first woman I showed you, her parents are seniors. They're in poor health and only recently were able to get a flight to, to Spain where they could get help and meet up with other family. But their plans change all the time. They're completely fluid. One interesting fact, and I know this sounds kind of random, just kind of bring these things up, but only 2% of, of Ukrainians are evangelicals, that is to say Protestants. And so they're often seen as a cult. And Western Protestants are, part, are, are often considered part of the Western influence that was one of the opening doors to Western decadence that was one of the motives for the invasion of the country. But here's something interesting. In Psalm 31.1, King David wrote, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. As I talked with these women, as I talked with these refugees, of all the emotions that people are feeling, the one that people do not expect to hear about is the shame, the humiliation of war. 
Lena talked about the shame of having to flee her country, of being run out of your own home to become a refugee, to become a beggar for survival. On her Facebook page in her Ukrainian refugee diary, Lena wrote, only 21 days ago, we were like you, naive in our belief that the, world, that the war would not start, that it was merely impossible in our times, in our land, from our neighbor, and now we're paying a high price for not seeing the reality. Now, this is also true of people like Anna, our translator at the seminary. She is suffering a lot of shame because she came to, Ukraine, she came to Poland about four years ago. And so she was not there when the bombs started, when the war began, and she's suffering an incredible amount of survivor's guilt. But while we were at the seminary, we had the opportunity to, to speak to some of the families, and especially the women who were staying there. There was only one dad in a whole group of 30, about six families that we met. And the reason he was allowed to come out is because he has four children. But while we were there, we delivered the prayer cards that you sent, and I read those prayer cards to those who did not read English. And I had an, a chance to interview five of the women who were staying there. One of the young women from Odessa said that the sounds of the wind, of buses, of trains will never sound the same again. We no longer trust people. We're afraid of them. No one knows what day it is. We just know it's the 26th day of the war. She said, they took our lives, they took our time, and we are not ourselves anymore. One young woman, Olga, revealed that, before she, uh, that she was forced to escape Ukraine and she had been scheduled for a surgery, a kidney surgery. She hadn't told anyone until our interview and, and she'd been living with this critical issue for several days. We were able to get her to a doctor and, and she's on the way to getting help, but you don't think about the fact that she was scheduled for a surgery, and, and that surgery is never going to happen in Kiev because of the war. But everybody there is traumatized by this experience. We met one young boy from the Donbass region who first was victimized by the Ukrainians shelling Russian positions near his village, and then when he escaped was traumatized by Russian shelling as he, as he moved west. When we looked at him the first time we saw him, we could all tell that he had that thousand-yard stare that said that this boy was deeply wounded. At the, West, at the Warsaw School of Theology, however, they've taken in these refugees. And they're not just giving them food and a pat on the back. They're providing long-term help for them. They're giving them identification and government immigration documentation. They're giving them jobs and homes and places for the kids to go to school. All that in addition to beds and medicine and a roof over their heads. You know, most refugees come to Poland with only the, only the clothes on their backs. Our partners, the Outreach Foundation, gave about $20,000 to WSTS for refugee relief. And in, in addition to paying for necessities, you saw that ping pong table and the, the foosball table and the TV and the toys. They bought those things for the kids. And that was a miracle because none of those kids, none of those families would talk to us until we started playing foosball and ping pong with the kids. And that's when they realized that maybe we could be trusted. But all of these things are happening in coordination. Sienna Church, the church where we worshiped, 
has served about 1,000 refugees already, has about 800, excuse me, about 80 that it's taking care of right now. Tololege is sending money and, uh, excuse me, is, is collecting money and shipping all kinds of humanitarian supplies to Kiev. And many, many Poles are taking refugees into their own homes. The context has surely changed. But our mission hasn't. The world has changed, but our mission has not. In fact, our mission as the Church of Jesus Christ is more important and relevant than ever. I want to show you, this is a picture of Reverend John Kaiser, who's a retired, he's the one in the middle, retired army chaplain and an eco-minister serving the U.S. Army in Germany. He, he worshiped in this church and is under care of our church and has been associated with this church for years. But as a chaplain in the army, as a combat chaplain, his job for many years has been to keep people from getting lost in the midst of tragedy and violence. Well, our mission in Poland has been to develop church leaders for kingdom growth. And European pastors are all going to have to become combat chaplains for the foreseeable future. And so we are now partnering to develop church leaders who will help people from getting lost in the tragedy and violence of the war and its consequences. You know, the church cannot fulfill its mission by, by parroting platitudes or taking the gospel for granted. We can't just do what we've always done. We cannot simply cry, peace, peace, when there is no peace. To paraphrase Lena, when something is so big and horrible and shocking, our minds try to simplify what's happening to understand. And then we try to simplify our responses and we say things like, I'm so sorry, I'm praying for you. Everything must be happening for a reason. She said, that's the worst one. She says, don't use simple phrases. It only hurts more. The reason that we support theological education in Poland and will continue to do that is because these people need, need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ in a way that honors the realities of their situation. To we all need to declare with the psalmist, I trust you, O Lord. I say that you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Why is it important to teach leaders to talk about theology in a context like this? Well, in his book, The Reformed Imperative, Dr. John Leith wrote this. He said, the task of Christian witness is to help those who believe to understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience. And that is the burden of the church in Eastern Europe right now, to speak God's truth and to train God's leaders so that they can speak God's word of power and grace to people who need to make sense of their lives and their experiences. You know, one, one guy said to me, I've never needed God more, but I don't know where he is. The church needs to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We, they, the people there need evangelism. And they need a deep theological evangelism that takes seriously the life and death questions they're facing. Questions about God's sovereignty in the face of unspeakable evil and restless hate. Questions about nuclear war and just war. Questions about ethnic division beyond race. Questions about economic relief and refugees. They need theological education. They need leaders because Jesus said, 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. And the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. For the next 50 years, the people of Ukraine, the people of Poland, the people of Russia, the people of Belarus are going to need leaders who can speak the truth and the kindness and the love and the power and the grace of the gospel into their lives in a way that makes sense. This is a mission field that is going to need laborers. And we are there to help develop those laborers. But another reason why theological education is so important in Europe right now is because right now, Europe is suffering from seriously bad theology. Why do we need to promote the education of good theology? Because again, Dr. Leith once said that bad theology hurts people. And right now we are seeing that we are seeing all of that played out on a global scale. In this case, bad theology kills people. It enslaves people and it destroys culture. Over the years, Vladimir Putin, who professes to be a deeply religious, orthodox person, has been positioning himself as a, as a defender of traditional Christian values. And in claiming to be the, defend, uh, the defender of the world from toxic, decadent Western liberalism, he has advanced an extremely idolatrous, nationalistic conservatism. For years, he has walked in lockstep with the hierarchy of the Russian Orthodox Church as they have made a case for Russia's div divine manifest destiny to fight the decadence of the West while est establishing a union of all Russian peoples. And so in his mind, this is not just an economic or a political war, it is a holy war. But one of the things we discovered talking to the people there is that this experiment has failed. They thought that they would be welcomed by Russian-speaking people in Ukraine as liberators, and instead, they've repelled him as a monster. The people that he claimed to be protecting are the ones who are turning against him. While they may love their rich cultural history, they want nothing to do with this totalitarian autocracy. Putin's propaganda is absolutely toxic, and it has been proven false by thousands of dead bodies and fleeing refugees. Again, as the psalmist prayed, let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Whatever the duration of hostilities, this war is going to have a ground-shaking effect on Europe and the rest of the world. As I said, six, six months ago, we did not know what would be happening in Eastern Europe, but the Lord did. He knew what would be happening. Whereas our Poland and Eastern Europe mission used to be kind of a niche mission, a niche mission, we now have front row seats to one of the most important and tragic mission fields of our day. Just think about the difference between now and one month ago. This crisis has not only created a humanitarian crisis, it has created a spiritual crisis exposing the enormous need for the people of God's church, whatever the denomination, Catholic or Protestant, to address the issues of life and death, war and peace, faith and hope in ways that have not been witnessed since World War II. But I believe that out of these ruins, God will bring renewal and revival. Again, Psalm 31 says, be strong, 
and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. You know, when the Bible says that someone is waiting for God, it's an expression of trust and expectation. It's not just about passing time. It's not just about pacing back and forth, hoping that something happens. It's about trusting that God is real and that we are expecting God to show up. It's about believing that God is real and we are expecting him to do amazing things. I conclude with Psalm 31:21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wonderfully, wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. One of the things that impressed me time and time again was the faith of the Ukrainian people that we met, who in spite of everything, have held on to the belief that God is good, that God loves them, that God is sovereign, and that one day he will help them to see his truth and help the world to see his light. Even though they are in a besieged city, they continue to turn to him. Let us continue to turn to them so that they will know that we believe that he is real too. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, there is so much more to tell, but you have called on us to pray for and to continue praying for those who are in this besieged city, this besieged world, this besieged country. Lord, I wish that I could today deliver a sermon that would say that all things have been wrapped up tightly in a bow and that all things have already worked together for good for your purposes and that we can plainly see it and have something to celebrate, but that's just not the situation. So, Lord, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of prayer, help us to trust in you and help us to pray for the faith of the Ukrainian people, for the health of the Polish people and the Russian people and the Belarusian people. Lord, help them all to feel your strength, your light, and your truth so that this war will end and your peace will reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.